Welcome to the Investor Download, the podcast about the themes driving markets and the economy now and in the future. Okay, and welcome indeed to the Investor Download. I'm your guest host, John Mensack. I cover emerging market debt and equity and commodities. For Schroeders. That voice that you just heard there was my very gracious and brilliant colleague, David Brett. And I want to thank him again for letting me sit in the chair to host uh, this version of the Investor Download. Today's topic, rate hiking cycles in emerging markets, and specifically, whether there's any light at the end of the tunnel. Joining me today is my longtime colleague, good friend, and uh, Schroeder's senior emerging market debt portfolio manager, Fernando Grisales. Fernando, how are you? John, always a pleasure. Thank you. Yeah, good to see you. Uh, Fernando, just for our listeners, can you step back and just give us a quick bio, please? Sure. I'm a senior portfolio manager here for Shorters, lead PM for emerging markets. I've been with the firm for over 10 years. I breed and live emerging markets and happy to be part of this conversation. Great. Yeah, good to see you. And as background, Fernando and I have worked together for 11 years. And Fernando, if uh, one dog year equals seven human years, we, we need to understand what one year in emerging markets means. For... It means a lot of white hair. Yeah, yeah. That, that's a study we need to be funding, I think. So look, we've got a fairly open field today. We've got a lot to talk about. And uh, really, it's it's you can take it any way you like. But what we want to get to is this whole notion of uh, emerging market debt cycles, EMs, were kind of early. Uh, in terms of raising rates, and uh, they I don't want to spoil anything, but they could be coming to an end pretty soon. And we want to talk about what that means for markets and investors. You'll have an opportunity, Fernando, to weigh in on what you think central banks have maybe done right or, or done wrong. And uh, also, we're going to get to specific countries and then uh, what it means for portfolios. And we'll keep in the back of our head that the fact that some investors may be revisiting uh, emerging market debt after uh, a bit of a hiatus. So it's always good to kind of bring them back into the fold and, and talk about what's going on. So let, let's get started then. Uh, oh, I'm sorry, Fernando. There's one other disclaimer we have to give, right? Which is the um, problem child disclaimer in emerging markets, right? Which is we always have a couple of problem children uh, at looking at you, Argentina and Turkey, at this particular point in time. But uh, when you make your uh, when you make your comments, it'll be sort of broad generalizations on EM, and then obviously you'll have country specific comments uh, as well. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, you're listening to the Investor Download. So let's get started then. As a group, uh, Fernando, how would you rate the EM central bank response to this current bout of inflation? What grade would you give them? Well, John, that's a great question, but it's good to take a step back and understand emerging market more as a mosaic of idiosyncratic stories. As such, there are many countries that actually deserve A's in Latin America, Brazil, Mexico, Colombia, Peru, Dominican Republic, in Asia, China, Indonesia, India. For some countries, much lower ratings. You mentioned Argentina, Turkey, Egypt are a few examples that deserve much lower scores. But overall, the majority of EM investors within our investment universe have responded in textbook fashion to this inflationary cycle. So, Fernando, you've been doing this for 20 years, been paying attention to EM central bank behavior. And let's just step back and, and say, on a personal note, 
Did it surprise you that EM central banks turned out to be the adults in the room by hiking early and aggressively? John, EM central banks, and many of them, have gone through boom and bust cycles over the last 50 years. It evolves in how you behave. Like the saying goes, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. And for many central banks, not responding to an inflationary cycle can lead to a currency crisis. A currency crisis can have significant impacts on a country's economy and its citizens. Overall, high inflation, deep recession, capital outflows, political instability. So for many emerging uh, central banks, they have behaved as the adult in the room. And we've seen some foreshadowing of this, right? This orthodox behavior. So I'm thinking, Fernando, in the last decade, right? EM central banks were far less likely to spend their precious FX reserves uh, in order to defend their currency, which is always kind of a fool's errand. Uh, is that correct? Absolutely, 100%. International reserves are similar to having a line of credit bundled with your insurance policy. They act as an important role in supporting a country's economy, economic stability, its resilience to external shocks. International reserves can be used to help stabilize a currency. They could be used to pay for imports of goods and services to service foreign debt. They lead to investor confidence and they could buffer against external shots, shocks, such as a Fed hiking cycle. Overall, emerging economies hold about $7.5 trillion international reserves across many different countries, and they hold these against these external shocks that we mentioned. And they've seen, uh, they, they've seen the folly of just trying to spend and, and defend your local currency. And um, uh, maybe 20, 30 years ago, they, they wouldn't ha have be so flush with reserves, right? But I, uh, for those of you who are listening who haven't looked at emerging market debt in a while, uh, the orthodox uh, rule book is out there for central banks, and they, they generally speaking, they're following it. So yeah, it's, it's good news, I think. So um, all right, we're in these rate hiking cycles now. So at what stage do you feel most central banks are in in their rate hiking cycles? Well, pretty much what you're asking, John, is have EM central banks reach terminal rates. And the terminal rate is the level at which a central bank set this policy rate once it has achieved a policy objective. For most emerging market central banks in our investment universe, central banks have reached terminal rates. Over the next 12 months, we do expect many central banks to start cutting. Eastern Europe was somewhat delayed to the, to the disinflation story compared to other regions. Hungary in particular, John, it's suffering from the most high inflation in that particular region. And for, for many reasons, number one, it was very aggressive in its fiscal policies post-COVID. It suffered from supply bottlenecks. It, it suffered from energy and food dislocations from the Russia-Ukraine war. It suffered from a drought, currency weakness, and disputes with the European Union. Nevertheless, the central bank responded very aggressively and hiked over 1,200 basis points, and it's pushing the economy to a near recession. We actually see inflation in Hungary go from 24% to low single digits in the next 12 months. Wow. Yeah. Um, so I, I just want to make sure we have this right. So uh, have most countries then seen their turn in both energy and food inflation, which is a huge, in some EMs, which is a, a very significant component of their CPI uh, basket. Is, is that accurate in saying that? It is, John. And I would argue that energy today is more of an, an energy and uh, a Goldilocks situation for emerging yeah. economies. Between 60 and 80, it doesn't create the inflationary impulse uh, for the domestic base. 
but it still generates pretty attractive fiscal revenues for those particular countries. So overall, with energy prices where they are, we are seeing year over year inflation prices come down. That affects food prices coming down, which is the largest part of the food of the CPI basket for many of these EM economies. So again, we do see terminal rates being reached by EM, and we expect cuts eventually in the near future. Okay, and 60 to 80 obviously is a barrel of oil. Uh, and again, we're kind of in that sweet spot. So this to you is is a full-fledged disinflationary window then? We're entering it for, for yeah. many economies, and we want to make sure that central banks don't move too early. But nevertheless, they've done a lot of work, a lot of heavy lifting. Let's take Brazil, for example, which was one of our favorite stories. Yeah. Uh, the central bank there was one of the first central banks to move aggressively. They actually started hiking two years ago, and they hiked 1,175 basis points. Yeah. Since then, since the peak of, of inflation for these guys, inflation has collapsed 800 basis points. Today, inflation in Brazil is 4%, while real rates are around 900 basis points. Very attractive uh, for, for EM, and I think Brazil is one of the countries that will start cutting sooner than many other countries. That's a lot of dry powder for a Federal Reserve Bank. 100%. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, Fernando, there's hiking rates, there's cutting rates, and then there are these things called plateaus, right? And so I guess the $64,000 question right now is, are EM central banks, in your mind, are, are they likely to stay on their plateaus for very long? I mean, in some instances, the rate hikes to date haven't really imp really bitten into economic growth, have they? Or, or what are you seeing? Well, they have. There is some, some slack in, in many of these economies. But overall, uh, we're seeing better growth numbers out of Asia, a little bit weaker in LATAM, and also weaker in Eastern Europe. Uh, but the main priority for policymakers is inflation. If you get inflation down and real rates come back to EM economies, usually flows come back into the asset class, the private sector is able to invest, and domestic demand comes back into that uh, particular opportunity set. So overall, inflation is the main priority, even as a little bit of slack in the economy. Will these rate hiking cutting cycles look like previous episodes? I mean, you you had mentioned Brazil, right? And certainly we have all that dry powder that the central bank uh, could be cutting. Uh, there are some fiscal issues in Brazil that they're working around as well, because that was one of the EM countries that had a larger COVID spend. Um, what are you expecting these rate hiking, uh, rate cutting cycles to look like? Pardon me. Well, John, one of the first questions you, you or comments you said was the adults in the room for EM central banks. And, and one of the main uh, topics or the main sayings from EM central banks in the last 20 years is do not fight the Fed. Yeah. So uh, we do expect central banks to be more prudent until they have a clear picture for what the Fed's going to do. As mar markets receive confirmation that the Fed is nearing its hiking cycle, it will provide degrees of freedom for many central banks to pivot from hawkish to neutral to dovish. This timing is becoming more and more visible, but I do think that central banks wanna get more comfortable and not fight the Fed just right now. Okay, so I I don't wanna get the, the hate mail from the fans here, so I'm gonna press you a little bit more, which is to say, second half of the year, we're gonna see some cuts in, in EM, yes, no? Yes. Okay. and. Uh, it starts in LATAM. <laughs> is, that, is that what we're thinking right now? It starts in Latin America? So, so John, uh, we, we do believe it's going to start in, in, in Latin America. I think yeah. Brazil will lead the efforts there. And yeah. then you will have 
uh, more of a, a step function there from, from many more uh, countries. Mexico, Peru, Chile comes to mind. That could be very aggressive. We think Colombia might be a little bit more delayed uh, within the region and Eastern Europe. We could see Poland uh, starting to wait for, for cuts. In, in Asia, we could see Indonesia, for example, yeah. uh, potentially cut as well. So there's going to be first movers definitely by the end of the year. And then in 2024, as an asset class, you could see central banks as a whole uh, joining the party in this, in this cutting cycle. Get in touch with us by email at shorterspodcasts at shorters.com or visit our website, shorters.com forward slash investor download. In all, then let's let's go forward to 24, right, and 2024. And where do you think levels of inflation will line up in EMs? And I guess I would just say relative to their pre-COVID lows, uh, a little bit more elevated than that. Uh, th- there's a few pressure points that have normalized for sure. Supply chain uh, chains have normalized. Energy and food prices are coming down, and this hawkish monetary policy across the globe is creating a credit crunch that also is reducing. Uh, domestic consumption in many of these economies. I think the one factor that we were a little bit worried about was China and the China reopening. Uh, And will that lead to a second wave of inflation for 2024 and pretty much uh, offset a lot of the heavy lifting that these central banks have done over the last 18 to 24 months. Uh, But I want to say that we're not in a Chinese super cycle, which we experienced for many years in the early 2000s. In that period, China averaged 10% growth rates for almost 10 years. And it was pretty much driven by an export-led growth model, rapid urbanization, and real estate investment. Those things are not happening today. Today, the Chinese growth model is domestic consumption, innovation and technology, and infrastructure investment. So to answer your question, yes, we think there's a path for inflation levels in EM in 2024 to normalize towards pre-COVID levels. Okay, great. And so if the U.S. then at the end of, you know, the U.S. Fed looks like it's going to uh, hopefully stop here in the next one or two cuts, we'll see. But uh, if the U.S. ends up with positive real rates, what sort of margin do you think, EM? And I know you, you made that great comment at the beginning, which is a bunch of idiosyncratic stories, so it's hard to pin it down to one number. But what do you think is kind of a safe margin for an EM country to have in terms of real rates relative to um, you know, low single digits in the U.S. for positive real rates. John, I think just focusing on real rates could, can miss the entire picture. Yeah. Um, it, it takes about, you know, I'll give you an example. It takes about 26 days to go from the bottom to the top of Mount Everest. Yeah. But it only takes about five minutes only, to fall. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, the climbers <laughs> stay there about five to 10 minutes usually on average. And then there's a long journey back. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the Fed is near and reaching the summit of its interest rate hiking cycle. Yeah. How long the Fed stays on hold is an open question. Nevertheless, increasing positive real rates in the U.S. can signal that it's time to start a descent downward for that summit that the, the Fed is reaching. When that occurs, it's not the level of real rates, it's the environment that it creates. And for yeah. EM, when you have real rates and the market is visualizing cuts from the Fed, lower global rates start to come down, liquidity starts to come back, and capital flows return to the asset class, creating a pretty robust environment for emerging markets. EM today is very on their own. And if these things happen, the technicals for the market can become very powerful. Yeah. 
So how, how do you think, break it down and how you think of local rates versus the currencies themselves. And th- there are certainly times where you're, you find the rates very attractive, but maybe the, the currency's less so because of uh, rate cuts are coming. And, and while that's not necessarily destructive for a currency, it's, it's a bit of a, a headwind, if you will. So h- how are you thinking as you look across EM with respect to the opportunities and local rates versus just the currencies themselves? As an investor, you have the ability to buy local rates hedge on hedge. There are instruments like non-deliverable forwards where you could hedge your currency exposure, but take a rate view in a particular country. Is a curve steep? Is a curve inverted? Do you see roll down that particular curve? Do you want to play duration? Do you want to play price appreciation and convexity? Uh, when all those things occur, you have that dynamic to figure out, is the effects worth taking the risk on a ex- expected return? on a risk-adjusted basis. If it's not, hedge the currency, but if our view is very solid when it comes to a cutting cycle, we could express that view in the five, 10, 30-year space of that particular curve and still generate very attractive returns. So overall, each story is different. Like I mentioned at the beginning, EM is a mosaic of idiosyncratic stories. There are some stories that we like on hedge, and there's many stories that we would hedge, but like the rate story as well. Okay, terrific. So break it all down then, the the implications for emerging market debt investors. Last year was a, a tough year for everyone in fixed income. Uh, and certainly uh, there was wasn't many places there weren't many places to hide in EM either. So uh, what does this mean for somebody, Fernando, who maybe has pulled out of the asset class and is thinking, you know, I do like those real rates and I think I might want to start to dip my toe back in. Uh, what, is it, what does it mean for those investors? What's the environment looking like? Well, a couple of things. I mentioned energy Goldilocks. I think that's a very important dynamic for EM, China, not having an export-led model, but still growing nicely over the next 12 to 24 months. And then a Fed that is reaching the summit of its hiking cycle. On a forward-looking basis, all those factors should be pretty good for EM. And actually, the market on a year-to-date basis performed very well when it comes to local currency. Uh, the local currency index is up over 4% on a year-to-date basis. It's outperforming other parts of the asset class, but nevertheless, still offers a pretty attractive carry and expect a return uh, if, we, if we see the dollar peak and actually come down. And the dollar is very expensive. So overall, I think for EM debt investors, you're paid to wait today for these eventual, eventually positive catalysts to materialize. Uh, overall, we believe it's a pretty incredible opportunity to play this deflationary cycle in emerging markets, uh, lower demand because of higher global rates, uh, post-COVID normalization of goods and services, decreased energy prices, decreased labor costs in real terms, lower food prices. And if you add on top of that stable to, to uh, uh, appreciating currencies, that really creates the perfect cocktail for EM investing. All right. Well, we'll see if that scenario does come to fruition. Uh, uh, for a lot of us, I certainly hope it does, but uh, we'll see. Fernando, we're going to leave it there for now, okay? Uh, ladies and gentlemen, I hope you found this uh, to be time well spent. We look forward to speaking with you on future podcasts. Well, that was the show. We very much hope you enjoyed it. If you want to find out more, check out our website, schroders.com forward slash the investor download. You can also get in contact with us about anything in the show or ideas for future shows at schroderspodcast at schroders.com. 
please remember to subscribe to us at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to leave a review. We're now doing one show a week, which will be available every Thursday from 5pm UK time. Thanks very much for listening, but above all, keep safe and go well. Cheers. The value of investments and the income from them may go down as well as up, and investors may not get back the amounts originally invested. Past performance is not a guide to future performance. The information is not an offer, solicitation or recommendation of any funds, services or products, or to adopt any investment strategy.